Today is Communion Sunday for us. And we want to look today at the meaning of Communion. And where should we begin? Let us take a look at Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, verse 22. Now as you turn there with me, I want to say that Communion has many meanings to many people. And it's been argued about through the centuries and people have even killed over the meanings. That's not where we are today. We just want to see one aspect of what God means when we come to take communion. And so we begin at the Lord's Supper. Mark chapter 14, verse 22. You know the context. Our Lord is headed to the cross. And here He is eating the last Passover meal with His disciples. And so reading from verse 22 in Mark chapter 14, the Bible says, And while they were eating, He took some bread... And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I shall never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that one day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. My focus is in verse 24. And He said to them, This is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. That is going to be our central word today, the word covenant. What does the word mean, and why does Jesus speak of it when He talks about His blood, when He speaks of His body? Jesus Christ, here at the Last Supper, is instituting an ordinance which we call the Lord's Supper, which commemorates the making of a new covenant with His people. And so when I say covenant, I'm referring specifically today to the new covenant. A covenant is not a contract. A covenant is a relationship of obligation to both parties. A relationship of mutual obligation. So when God makes covenant, He obligates Himself to His people, and He obligates His people to Himself. The best understanding of covenant I know is marriage. When you marry someone, both people have to say commitments, don't they? They both have to take an oath. I've never been to a marriage where only one person speaks. Marriage doesn't work that way. The man has to say, I promise to do X, Y, and Z, and the woman says, I promise to love, serve, and whatever it is, whatever language you use, both parties have to pledge to each other. That's a covenant. What are the promises of the covenant that Jesus is speaking of here at the Last Supper? Come with me to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. As we try to understand what are the promises that God makes to us in this new covenant. This new marriage, as it were, between God and His people. Ezekiel chapter 37. In Ezekiel 37, looking at <clears throat> verse 14, it says, I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your land. Okay, I will put my spirit in you, and here he's speaking of the new covenant, of what he's going to do, and he's going to put his spirit within his people. But specifically, take a look with me at verse 26. And I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. 
I will make a covenant of peace with them. So this new covenant that God talks about, which Jesus establishes, is a covenant of, what's the key word? Peace. peace. A covenant of peace. Now that's an interesting word in itself. It means many things to many people. What does it mean in the Bible? What does the word peace mean? It is a word used over 237 times in the Old Testament. It is an extremely important word. It cannot be overestimated. It cannot be overstated. When we meet somebody today, we say, hello, how are you doing? And we don't expect them to answer, do we? If they do, we say, well, I really, it wasn't something I, it was just a greeting. Hi, how are you doing? We call them, hey, hello. And we don't expect a response. You don't see that greeting in the Bible, do you? When Paul the Apostle greets his people, how does he greet them? Peace, grace and peace. Grace and peace. We have other cultures that do the same thing, the Islamic culture. Right? Assalamu alaikum. Again, peace. The Jewish culture. Shalom. Or ma'ashlatma. What is your peace? It is that language, shalom. It is that word that is translated peace here in Ezekiel. And the meaning of the word is astonishing. When we think of peace, we mean the absence of war. That's not what this word means. I want to give you a definition of shalom. What does shalom mean? Here, the covenant of peace. It means this. I want to give you three words. Health, security, and tranquility. Health, security, tranquility. It deals with a general self, a general sense of one's welfare. You look at those three words, I don't care who you are, this is what everyone is aiming at in life. You can be Donald Trump or you can be Donald Duck, it doesn't matter. You can be up there in the highest penthouse or the lowest place in the ghetto. It doesn't, you can be a president or you can be a, a porter, it doesn't matter. Every single human being alive, whether they want to use money or sex or drugs or whatever, everyone is trying to ride a vehicle to these three things. If you set your man, give you $10 million, but I'll take away your health, he'll say, find me a better deal than that. If you say to someone, well, listen, I'll give you $10 million, but you have anxiety, he says, let's see if we can do better than that. Because even the Bible, when God promises wealth, he says, and I'll add no sorrow to it. Tranquility, peace of mind, is the thing people chase after. And these are tied into it, aren't they? The way our body feels, the way we feel about ourselves, the actual health, that we have, the security, the sense that we are at ease, that we are protected, really important. And all that feeds into tranquility. It's a sense of the general welfare. When God says, peace, I'm going to establish a covenant of peace, what he's telling us is, I'm promising you that I'm going to be the God who takes care of your body. The God who takes care of the health of your body, your spirit, your mind. I'm going to be the God of your security. I'm going to be the God of your tranquility. I'm going to be the God who looks after you. And I care deeply about your health. I care deeply about your spirit. I care, I care deeply about how you're thinking. I care deeply about how you go to sleep at night. What problems you wake up with in the morning. I care about all of you. The totality of the individual is included in this word, Shalom. So when God says, I'm going to make you a covenant of peace, He means heaven is not just going to wish you well, heaven is going to work for your well-being. It means that God is taking our side. 
that heaven comes down to assist us, to establish us on this earth, not without trouble, beloved, but in the face of trouble, in the face of difficulty, in the face of adversity, God yet wants to grant us the health, security, tranquility that is essential to what we call the good life. Amen? That's what it means. But yet the word even means more. It does mean to make peace with someone. And in the language of the covenant, it is God who makes peace with us. Please understand that the new covenant means God has made peace with man. Why were we at war with God? Or God had wrath with us? Because of sin. It's in the new covenant through the blood of Jesus that sin is removed. And that the guilty conscience is cleansed. And we are now able to meet with God. God establishes peace with us. He makes peace with us in the new covenant. Now, something else the word means. It means peace. It means welfare. It, it means health, security, tranquility, welfare. It also means blessing. Here's a word that we often overuse. Blessing. We say when people sneeze, I bless you. Okay? But that's not what it really means. The word blessing, again, means God seeking to act on our behalf. God doing good for us. The ultimate good that God did for us. What was the ultimate good that God did for us? Was to forgive us of our sins. Amen? But beyond that, the greater good comes from the covenant blessing. And the great covenant blessing is that we are admitted into God's presence forever. And that God builds His presence or His sanctuary where? In our midst. In us and in our midst. You must not underestimate what it means to get access into the presence of God. Think about it. All day long, we pray, don't we? We pray before meals. We pray before we go to bed. We pray when problems come up. And we never think about it. We never say, hey, how can I pray so easily? Am I really talking to God right now? We just pray because it's something we have to do, something we know we ought to do. But when you pray, do you realize that at that moment, you are accessing the presence and the power of God? Without any condition. You don't have to kneel down. You don't have to say ten times Jehovah this. You don't have to get dressed in special robes. You don't have to kill any blood, any goats or bulls. You just, you just enter God's presence. And you just say, God, hear me right now. You're talking to God as if He were your friend, as if He were your father. And you're right. But have you ever thought about the privilege of that process of prayer? The privilege. Take a look with me to Hebrews chapter 10. The new covenant, the shalom, the peace of the new covenant, the blessing of the new covenant is not just peace. The blessing of the new covenant is more than this. The blessing of the new covenant is access to God. So we know it's shalom. But it means more. It's also access to God. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 19. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, and new by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. You read that today, and you go, okay, big deal. Okay, I get it. It means something spiritual. 
But so what? I want to tell you something. When this was written in the first century, the Hebrews that read this fell off their seats. The Hebrews, the Jews that read this, got up and said, that's not true. It was a letter. And it was read in their churches. And there were many who protested that statement. It caused anger. It caused confusion. It caused dissension in the church. And it caused great joy. Because it had a meaning to them that it no longer means to us. Take a look at verse 19. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place, and it should say there, <clears throat> the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus. To the average Jew, that was an earth-shattering statement. Why? The most holy place was the inner sanctuary of the temple or the tabernacle. You want to see how important it was? Come to Leviticus 16. Take you all through the scriptures. You know that's my method. Write them down if you can't get there fast with me. Okay, Leviticus chapter 16. I want to teach you all the scriptures that are relevant to the topic of what does the covenant mean to us. It means the peace of God, right? We know that. But it also means what? Blessing, which is the access to God. Okay, that's the part I'm working on right now. What am I working on? Access to God, okay? The reason I ask you, I want to check with you, make sure you're following me, because some of you stare at me, but you're not listening to me. Which is what kids do in class, and what you've done all your natural school life, correct? Well, some of you. Leviticus chapter 16. Context. Verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they approached the presence of the Lord and died. Aaron's two sons took it upon themselves to mix the type of offering and incense they wanted to present to God. They broke God's rules and approached Him on their own terms. And both of them died at the same time. And Aaron's sons, the, 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 the sons of the high priest, God's most favored man, Aaron, or second most favored man, first was Moses, Moses' brother, and his son died without mercy because they approached God on their own terms. And God smoked them. He didn't give them a second chance. He didn't say, look, go back and, guys, you know what you're doing? Go back and mix a different offering. Mix the recipe the way I said it. He said, no, you present this type of incense to me? You dishonor me? You die in my presence. You should have known better. But here's what's fascinating. Read it again. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother. Don't you love that language? Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. God didn't tell Aaron. He said, Moses, go tell your, tell your brother. You ever, you, ever appear, you ever say that to one of your children? Go tell your brother I'm not playing. Yeah. Okay? Sometimes husbands and wives say to each other, ask your father. Okay? Tell your mother I said, let's go. We, we have indirect messages to show how not angry, how serious we are. And we're not, we're so serious, we don't even want to countenance the person we're talking about. Tell your brother. That's the language here. You want to know the fatherhood of God? You study the Old Testament. That's how fathers talk. Moses said, come here Moses, go tell your brother. Moses could have said, well, you know, he's your high priest. No, no, you tell him from me. Tell him what? Tell him, be careful. Be real careful how he approaches me. 
He comes in. If he shall not enter any time he wants to into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat. And the language here means any time he wants to. He's got to come in on the day of atonement to make atonement for the sins of the people. Once a year, he, the high priest was able to enter the holy of holies, the most holy place where the ark of the covenant of God was. And he came in once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. A sprinkled blood on the ark. And the Lord said to Moses, you tell your brother Aaron, and he shall not enter when he wants to enter the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. Why will he die? For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. That's where I come, Moses. My presence will appear there. I will appear there. So you tell him, don't come there until I am ready to meet with him. Have you ever tried knocking on the door of an important person? I suggest you try to take a plane trip to Washington, D.C., go to Pennsylvania Avenue, knock on the White House door, say, I'm here to speak to Barack. Okay? Let's speak to the President. And the question will be, were you invited? And if you weren't invited, unless you're one of those people from a reality show, you get turned away. The presence of great people is not at your back end. Cool. Try it with your boss at work. Even your boss limits what? Access. That's why he's the boss. Sometimes his door is closed. And you can't get in there unless the boss says, come in. Now that's just human beings. Doesn't God, the Creator, have the right to determine who comes to Him? How and when? And here were the two sons of, the, of his high priest. They came strolling into God's presence, doing whatever they wanted to do. And he said, no, you, 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 you die. I don't know whether they went to hell or heaven. I don't know their hearts. But they died then. Then he told their father, while he was still grieving, you go tell, you go, you give their father this message. He comes in like that, he dies too. For God is no respecter of persons. He is a great respecter of his presence. And every Jew knew that the Holy of Holies was the sanctuary of God. And a man went in there only when God said, how God said, and did exactly what God said. Because what follows in Leviticus 16 is an extraordinary detailed account of what God wanted. Now I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I want to give you a sense of how incredible detail God was about this. Look at this. Verse 3. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic, and the linen on the garments shall be next to his body. And he shall be girded with a linen sash, and attired with a linen turban. These are holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water, and put them on. So before Aaron could put on the holy garments, he had to do what? Take a bath. Okay? Make sure you're clean before you put on my clothes. Did God give specifications about the type of clothing he wanted Aaron to wear? Yes, he did. And by the way, when this clothing was made up, Jason, and, 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 and Matthew and, and guys, when this clothing was made up, God even gave directions on the type of material and color it had to be. Every single detail of worship was specified by God. Now watch it. 
Verse 5, And he shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a, bur- for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering which is for... which is for... himself. That he may make atonement for... himself. And for his household. You see, Aaron was a priest. But God said, Aaron, you're a sinner. And before you come into my presence, you need to make atonement for yourself. You can't come and make atonement and create forgiveness for these people. And by the way, atonement meant to take away their sin. You can't take away, you can't make an atonement for them. You make atonement for yourself first before you come into my presence. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats and one lot for the Lord, the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall offer the goat in which the lot for the, the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat in which the lot... And on and on it goes. Verse 12. And he shall take a fire pan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony lest he die. In other words, you better make some smoke before the ark. Why? Because the smoke will cover the appearance of the presence of God. Even though God was going to appear there before the high priest, God did not allow Aaron to see his glory. It was smoke of the incense that had to cover that. The room was literally filled with smoke. So Aaron would not die looking upon the glory of God. Do you know what you're dealing with? This is God. Moreover, we shall take of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat. And on the east side, also in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Seven times the number of what? Completion in Scripture. And he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering. And beloved, it goes on and it goes on. And it, it, he then, when he's done all this, look at verse 24. When he leaves the tent of the meeting, he shall bathe his body with water in a holy place and put on his clothes. He's got to bathe twice. And put on his clothes and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people again. This was amazing. And if you read all the way down to verse 34, God continues to give instructions on how to do this. And then verse 34, and now you have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year. And just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so he did. Now, what a tedious process that was. What a limiting process that was. It was as if God was saying to man, don't come further than that. You come here to me and no further. You know who I speak to face to face? Moses. That's it. The rest of you, you can't, you can't come to me like that. And when you come to me, some of you, most of you are going to stay way out there. Tent of meeting. Way out there. You stay out the outside. Some of you can come a little further. One man comes in deeply and he can't even see me. Don't mess around. Access is extremely limited. That's the God at Sinai. It's the God of, in Exodus. It's the God in Deuteronomy. It's the God of the Old Covenant. It's the God through the prophets. It's the God all the way through Malachi. It's the God who limits access to himself. 
You ask why? Isn't he a loving God? Isn't he kind? That's precisely why he limited access to himself. Because he knew that there was something yet to be done in history. And until that something was done in history, any man coming into his presence came with sin and would have to die. Because the presence of God and the presence of sin cannot be in the same room together. Any man who came in there came with a conscience full of sin. You, you couldn't get to God. Not like that. He wrote God to God. Men like David and, and sincere hearts, and, but it was few. Israel on the whole was unfaithful. And God limited access. People had to go through mediators, prophets. He spoke in different ways. He never spoke directly to them. You never see occasions where these people are saying, talking to God like how we talk to Him. Who do you see doing that in the Old Testament? Moses? Abraham? David? Even Daniel doesn't dare. When Daniel sees heaven appear, he falls down and he's white as ass. Don't kill me. Who will die? That's how incredible it was to meet with God. Are you with me? Come back to Hebrews chapter 10. Remember the high priest, remember the bathing, remember all of that, right? Come back to Hebrews chapter 10. Now start with verse 1. For the Lord, since it only has a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year which they offer continually make, perfect, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice an offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Come down with me, beloved, to verse 10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart, and upon their mind I will write them. He then said, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these, sin, of these things, there is no longer any offering necessary for sin. Sins, therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter what? The most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What do we get that Aaron couldn't get? Access. Romans 5 says, what does Romans 5 say about access? Pull your thumb there and come there. Romans 5. Romans 5. 
Romans chapter 5. The key word is what? Access. Romans 5. Things to be taken for granted. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No more war. Through whom also we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Beloved, don't you know God has placed the most holy of holies in you. The temple is now in you. The Shekinah glory, the cloud and the fire is now in you. And when the church of God comes together, we constitute a living temple with all of us being spiritual and holy rocks which God is building His kingdom on. Don't you know? Don't you know this? You today are a living temple in your heart, but together you are being built up as a holy temple. And the glory of God dwells here. We have access because we don't come to a new building or a tabernacle. No. God has come inside us and has invited us to come to Him. He dwells with us. And so the most holy of holies is now open to a child. Everyone. And with whom does God now have conversation face to face? All of us. When? Anytime you want to. Just like your children can cry out at any time and you are there for them. Beloved, what had to happen before we can get that access? Jesus Christ had to come and die in time and history. His blood was shed that we might have a direct access to His Father. In fact, Jesus said this to the disciples, when you pray from nowhere, He says, you don't even have to pray through Me. You can go directly to My... Well, come on now. You can go directly to My Father and ask Him. Because you are sons now. You are heirs and co-heirs. Don't you know what happened? You went from being outside, you were brought inside, you were adopted as the sons and daughters of God, and given the right to sit down before the throne, and curl up and fall asleep before God. You were given the right to cry before God. You were given the right to cast your burdens upon God. You were given the right to speak to Him, and whenever you open your mouth, God stops what He is doing anywhere in the universe and says, I want to listen to my child. I'm sorry you had something to say. I don't want to tell you something. He hears everything you want to tell him. But there's only one conversation God doesn't want to hear from you. There's one thing God doesn't want to hear from his children. So what doesn't God want to hear from his children? God doesn't want to hear about things he's already taken care of. Like what? Their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. For if we confess our sins... He is what? Faithful and just to forgive our sins. And to what? Cleanse us. Let me tell you something. The law on earth can forgive a man of committing murder, but they can't cleanse the man from doing it. A judge can say, I pardon you. Presidents have pardoned men. Nixon was pardoned before he was. Well, he wasn't pardoned because he was never in. But he was pardoned. He was pardoned, but he was guilty. He didn't cleanse his reputation. But the Bible says God forgives us and washes us, sprinkles where? On our conscience, beloved. Don't you see? Don't you see in Hebrews? The key word is the conscience.
conscience. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. God doesn't want you coming to Him with guilt. God doesn't want you coming to Him remembering what you did yesterday. And what you messed. God, I don't even know what you're talking about. For I will cast your sins and iniquities away as far as the east is from the west. So far have I removed their sins and iniquities from them. Don't let any preacher, don't let anybody guilt you before God. You have freedom with God. You have total liberty. When God looks at you, He sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. Not the imperfections He's still working on. He knows who you are. You don't have to tell Him anything. Just tell them thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. That's why you can have peace. Shalom. You can't have peace when guilt is there. You can't have peace when sin is there. You can't have peace because that's what kept people from God. It wasn't that just that God wanted to limit access. Their sins limited their access to God. But He promised there'll come a time when I'll put my law in your heart. And from the least to the greatest will know me. And no one will ever have to say, know the Lord. You get teachers, but you all, from the children, from Donovan, from, from Seth, from Faith, all the kids will get to know me like Moses knew me. Everybody come sit and eat at my table. And I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. What does all this mean to us today? It means at least this, that you should start thinking about the privilege God has given you. And loving Him just a little bit more. Isn't that something that we forget? The things that we take most for granted are the things that we do most often. Right? We are people of novelty. And so we invent ways to come to God. Liturgical chants, everything. But, but God is really simple that way. We take it for granted. Oh Lord, I just, oh Lord, I need your help. We forget who we're talking to. We forget that if Nadab and Abihu tried that, they got killed. We forget that Miriam and Aram got there. I didn't talk to you face to face. I talked to Moses face to face. Weren't you afraid? You talk about Moses and I spoke to him face to face? I didn't talk to you like that. What happened when Jesus died? The Bible says the veil of the temple was torn. It really was. Split in two. That's just to say, everybody gets in now. And if you're a woman, you become an equal heir. You know what I'm saying? Christianity revolutionized the world. It was the first religion that said women are equal. They're heirs of God and they're co-heirs with Christ. They're equal to their husbands, though they submit to them like the sons of the Father in the Trinity. They're equal. Everybody gets in. Everybody gets access to God. But then look at this. Let's close with this now. Let's close with this. Let us draw near with a sincere heart. What's the blessing? Access. So how do you come come to God now? With a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Assurance of what? He's going to... Hear me. He's going to keep His promises. He will never push me away. When I talk to Him, He listens. I've got God's ear. Isn't that enough? I've got God's ear. Thank you, Father, for listening to me. Full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. The word evil here, by the way, is used for the name Satan. Because who? what does Satan mean? The... The adversary, what does he do? He is something else. He is the accuser. He is the accuser of the brethren. That's why he's our adversary. Because he does what to us all the time? You did this. You sinned. Because Satan knows if he can keep us guilty, he can keep us from faith. 
He can keep us from our birthright of a full assurance. Amen. Come on now. It's a dysfunctional home where a child is afraid to come and talk to a father. When things go wrong in your house, a father goes after a child and says, I will discipline you, but I love you. I will embrace you. Don't run from me. Come to me. God is not dysfunctional. But Satan wants us to believe that God is holding something against us. He wants us to see ourselves, yes, as saved, but not as saved, as favored. You are favored. Let me tell you something. You are blessed and highly favored. It's one thing to have access. It's another thing to be favored. You know what I'm talking about. There are folks in Washington, D.C. right now that are favored by the president. Just a few. And the three or four of them get to talk to him at any time they want to. They have direct line to him. The rest of the people have to make appointments. They don't. One of them is his wife. Favored. You hear me? Favor means you get in. Favor means you have direct access. Favor means I'll do things for you that I will not do for others. And that's how God sees you. You are His royal children. You are His priests. And His priestesses. You are sons and daughters of folk. Of the most high God. Do not belittle what it took Jesus to die to give you. Nobody in history have had the type of favor that you have today. There are saints in the Old Testament that eagerly look into these things, the Bible says. And they longed to see what was coming. What was coming was the Gentiles were going to come in and they were going to have equal access. So whether you're black or you're white or you're Jewish or you're whatever, whether you're a woman or a man, you have equal access to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, the high priest had to keep standing up because he had to keep making sacrifices. But the Bible says, when Jesus made a sacrifice, he sat down because Sat down at the right hand of God to say, it is finished. But no, 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 don't miss it yet. I got one more minute here. It says this, it says, look, it says, he made a sacrifice, verse 14 of Hebrews 10, for by one offering, he didn't have to make many, his blood is enough, amen, he has perfected for all time those who are being made holy. Let the scripture speak to you. Let the scripture speak to you. He has perfected. Well, see, that's confusing. He has perfected for all time those who are being made holy. I don't get that. Well, I want you to get it. Because it, 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 it is the word of God. And God means to bless you today. What does it mean that he has perfected those who are being made holy? The words are different. Being made holy is a process of God training you how to overcome the consciousness of sin that still lives in you, though you are a new creation. The old man is dead, but sin is still there. And all the memories of who you used to be are still there. And you've got to fight with your old habits and overcome them. Amen? That's the process of exercising the gift of sanctification, the gift of the new man. But in another real sense, the Bible says, you've already been perfected. But the word perfected here means you've been made complete. In other words, God has fully accomplished the goal He had in mind when He sent Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means this. He has already given you everything you need for victory in life and in godliness. Somebody say Peter. 
You've got everything you need. You are a full package, beloved. Let me tell you something. You need wisdom. God says, I've already given it to you. You need to find out how to make a million dollars this year to bless your church and to bless God says, I've given you that ability. You need to climb the mountain He sent you to. I've given you that ability. Wherever God's will will guide, His grace has already provided for you. You have everything you need to succeed for everything God has called you to do. You are a perfected package. You lack nothing. Do you really believe that? It means that Christ has loaded you full. You buy a new car? I have. Mine was not fully loaded. I bought a new car. I said, my wife, you know what? We can't get the pull-down disc. We can't get the leather seats. So we got the roll-down window. We, we missed a few options. Because the price was too high for the XL version of it. I want to tell you, there's no XL when it comes to God. Yes. You have been given the full package. What's the full package? You've been given a new creation in you. A new heart and a new mind. And then God loaded you up with the Holy Spirit. You've got the teacher of teachers that lives in you. You've got all of heaven living in you. You've got the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit communing with you. Why do we fail? Mostly because we have no faith in who God is what He made us to be. Mostly because we don't dare dream so high. Mostly because we keep thinking of our past. Mostly because we keep thinking of, we're going to fail again. Mostly because we keep thinking, I can't. And then therefore, that becomes a prophecy, doesn't it? If you say, I can't do it, I can guarantee you, you'll fulfill the prophecy. This is not positive talk, beloved. It's Bible talk. You have been perfected. You've been given everything, says Peter, you need for life and for godliness. And He perfected you while He's making you perfect. Amen? Praise God indeed. Praise God. So let us draw near, the Bible says. And verse 23, let us hold fast. The confession of our hope. Persevere, he says. And then look at the last two things we've got to do. What are our obligations? Let us consider. Because God is all this to us, you've got some things to do. Verse 24. Let's consider how to stimulate who? One another to love and good deeds. That's church. Church is not this. This is only part of church. Church is coming to come and say, how do I think during the week about calling my brother and provoking him yes. to righteousness? Hallelujah. I'm not calling to, how you doing? I'm calling to, grace and peace be unto you. Yes. Shalom, my brother. You have God's peace. You've got God's greatness. Let me tell you, tell me what's happening this week in your life so I can pray with you and pray for you. How can I celebrate with you? What great thing has God done this week for you? That's conversation. What you read in the Bible? Give me a blessing or let me give you one. You got five minutes? Let me tell you something I read this morning. Can't we do that to one another, beloved? Let us hold fast the confession and let us contemplate. It requires thought. And verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as some are in the habit of doing. Some people today stay home and watch TV people. No, come together, he says in church. And then, for, and then the last verse, encouraging one another. So what do we got to do? We got to consider one another. How do I help this brother this week? How do I provoke him to righteousness? How do I keep him sharp? Sharpen. Iron sharpens iron. Stimulate each other to love and good deeds. Come together and encourage one another. That's what you do in the covenant. Besides obeying and loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Amen? Amen. Let's summarize the truth of God. God has given us a new which Jesus, the new covenant, which Jesus instituted the Last Supper. Communion is a celebration of the new covenant. What does the new covenant mean? It means what? Peace. Peace. Shalom. 
And God is deeply concerned about our health, health. our security, our tranquility, financial, spiritual, it's all one to God. It doesn't divide us up, amen? Our welfare. The second thing we talked about is that God has given us the great blessing of access. We stand in His grace, which means we are highly favored. And which means we have a line to God that other people don't. And at God, how does God see us? Does He see us in our imperfections? No. Does He see us with sin? No. How must we see ourselves? We must get rid of the guilt in our consciences, which is put there by whom? The enemy. Now let me tell you something. If you did something wrong this week, confess it. Don't say, well, I did something wrong, but the guilt is from No. You're guilty because you were wrong. The first thing you do is confess it, and God will do what? Not only forgive, but cleanse. And if you came and talked to God about it tomorrow, He would say, my son, I'm not sure what you are talking about. I thought we... Which, which was that? Oh, that, I, don't, I don't remember that. God, can you really forget? God can forget what He wants to forget. He said, let me forget you. You are called to the palm of my hand. God says, you are inscribed. Oh, come on now. You beat somebody in the road now. You want to remember their phone number. What do you do? You write it in your hand. Because I have written you on the palm of my hand. You are ever before me. But your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. All I see is what Christ has done for you. All I see is what Christ is doing in you. Stand up, Christians, and tell God, I see what you see. I don't see a loser. I see a victor. I don't see my past. I see my future. I don't see a failure. I see victory, God. Because that's what you want from me. I see myself the way you see me. I have forgotten because you have forgiven. And I'm pressing on and pausing. Forgetting what we find, Paul said. I press on. Come on, Christians. What are you going to forget today? Maybe you might forget what you were to yesterday. You might forget what you kissed there. Maybe you might forget your sin. Forget your bad habits and move on with God. Pressing on. Pressing on. The higher cross. Lord, lift me up. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's just praise Him. Let's just praise Him. Let's just praise Him. Hallelujah.